755 is real with David O'Brien and Eric O'Flaherty. It is on the air now. Hello, welcome into 755 is real. Producer Cam here with you. Great to be back with the podcast. David and Eric answering your Braves questions prior to Game 3 on the Athletic app at a 755 is real live room. If you weren't able to join the live room today but want to be notified in the future when we host them, make sure you're following David and Eric on Twitter, at D.O.B.R.I.A.N.A.T.L. at EOF34. Also, make sure you are following 755 is Real, the feed on Apple, Spotify, your podcast player of choice. Also, make sure to leave a review if you wouldn't mind. That helps us a lot. And make sure you're subscribed to us on our YouTube channel. You can find the link to that in the show description. In today's show, recapping games one and two of the NLDS, looking at Max Fried and Kyle Wright starts as well as Ronald Cunha Jr.'s scare. That fastball to the elbow gave us all a little bit of a fright. Also, looking ahead to Game 3, previewing the Phillies matchup, what can we expect from Spencer Strider, who received a nod to start coming off a long absence following an oblique injury? What is also to be expected of the bullpen and Spencer Strider start if Strider can't go more than two or three innings? David and Eric lay out the scenarios and what to expect from the third matchup of the divisional series, also looking at Orlando Arcee and Von Grissom, the latter of the two, Grissom receiving a nod to start in Game 3. As always, we really do appreciate the support you guys bring to the show. We see as much as we are able to on YouTube, any form of the podcast players and the reviews you leave, or on Twitter. The outpouring of support always means a lot to us. So thank you so much for everything you guys do. And without further ado, here's DOB and EOF. Well, let's talk a little bit about the first couple of games. Uh, I thought the Braves responded just as you would hope they would after that first game, which in which, you know, the Phillies basically did everything that you had to do to win a game, and the Braves did not. You know, with the big hits, the two-out hits, the kind of things the Braves did all year, I thought the Phillies did those in game one, but I really liked the way the Braves responded, the way you thought they would, especially after a three-and-a-half-hour rain delay, and to to that crowd's credit, man, I don't think anybody left. I mean, that was an amazing atmosphere after a three-and-a-half-hour rain delay. Yeah, I keep hearing that, that it is just an insane atmosphere. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's supposed to be a day game to begin with, and it's really just hard to have the same type of atmosphere in a day in day game, especially in a postseason. It just doesn't feel the same at all. So I think that might have actually benefited them, you know, to get them because they've played better, obviously, all year when that's no secret at night. But uh, that crowd just uh, even if it was full for the day in the afternoon, there were probably still some people filtering in. But people just games at that place. Just everything about it. Everybody just and everybody has time to drink a little bit and get excited. But <laughs> I just thought everybody it just, it just the atmosphere was was amazing. And, uh, you know, you got some. uh some guys really responded, and they played the kind of games they have the way they've won all year. You know, hit some home runs. That's the way they – when the Braves don't hit home runs, they don't win generally. Right. And uh, they got some big home runs. Some guys that really stepped up down the stretch did. And, man, the defense by Austin Riley and Dansby was just huge, those plays they made. Those were ridiculous plays. I mean, the ball Dansby caught, I don't think you can really appreciate – on TV, how hard it is because you you might see an NFL wide receiver or something catching yeah. all over their shoulder, but this ball is four or five times as high as a throw. Yeah, yeah, you know, and it's up there and it's got this crazy spin on it. You know, the ball does weird stuff when it's when it's up that high and spinning that much, and then just to track it that far, basically be running right underneath it the whole time and stick his glove out and dive like he did. 
I mean, th- and the ball's about one tenth the size of a football too. In the yeah. lights, yeah. <laughs> white the in the lights. I've seen make that play consistently better than Dansby is Andrelton. Otherwise, Dansby's yeah. probably the best I've seen. Yeah, I mean, it's just uh, that's the kind of play that you know for the average guy that played you know high school ball or whatever, you just couldn't even dream of making that play unless it was just no. absolute. You threw your glove out there and it went in it. You know, I mean, that's that's just so much skill involved in that. And then the play Austin makes, man. For those who who would not believe us or argued with us by pointing to you know this or that uh, metric during the season that he was not a good defensive third baseman, there you go. That play right there, a bad defensive third baseman doesn't. That wasn't luck. That play that he made. No, a good defensive third baseman don't make that play with yeah. the tarp closing in on you, not really knowing where you're at in space. Yeah, understanding how fast all that's happening. I mean, every time he makes a play like that, I just want to find an analytics guy and question him. You know, they they compared it. They showed uh, side by side with the Arenado play that he made. It was so similar. And when Arenado made it, you know, went over the tarp, everybody was just like, oh, my God, only Arenado makes that play. Well, Austin just made it basically the same play and did it in a postseason game with two outs. I think it was right. I mean, you just never know those type of plays. You never know. I mean, you see and you watch the Mariners game, a guy hits a ball up the middle, next guy walk off. You know, I mean, you never know yeah. if you yeah. don't get those outs, what they could lead to. Uh, the whole series could ball, turn. Everything can turn on one play. And you see it all the time, especially, you know, it's it's amplified in the playoffs. But those two plays right there, I mean, that's two thirds of an inning that could, anything could happen. Well, you know, Mark Simon sent uh, sent me a tweet that he put up after that play because he had seen, you know, others arguing with us about Austin's defense. And he said, and I didn't realize this, that Austin Riley had more defensive runs saved. And a lot of people poo-poo that stat. But, you know, I think with defensive metrics are kind of shaky anyway. And to me, that one is, in a lot of cases, works really well. And But he... uh he said Austin Riley, defensive runs saved, had more defensive runs saved in September, October, you know, regular season than anyone else. He had like seven. <laughs> and he carried that into the postseason, obviously. Yeah, I just I don't I know he doesn't score well or whatever, but I just don't see it. Yeah, it's, there's there's so many balls too that he picks. Yeah. You know, just really tough picks that you could see another third baseman missing. I don't know if it's Maybe it's strictly based on range, and there's some balls in the hole he might not get to or something. But as far as, I mean, just holding down third base, he's a vacuum, and he he makes you know some pretty clean bare hands. Yeah, I, I think he's underrated. You know, what, however he's getting rated, I don't think he's getting rated high enough. Yeah, well, the defensive run saves rate him high. So, and yeah. and and a couple of the plays that I I know he scored high, really highly on in September, were plays that that play where you make the backhand at the foul yeah. at the. Uh, at the line, and then you throw from foul territory across the field, and, and it has to, you have to have a great arm and an accurate arm to make it. And he made several of those in September. So you have the Brooks Robinson play, and uh, Arenado makes it all the time. Yeah, it's a, it's a really tough play, though. And only the, only a good third baseman can make that on a regular basis. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, I, I really like the way they responded. Um, I think in that game one, I, I thought Freed showed some signs that he still wasn't over that bug that he had, that stomach bug, that he was weakened by it. I think was because that wasn't the normal Max Freed, and he kind of gutted it out, but that just wasn't him. 
yeah, he didn't have it. He didn't look as as uh, intense either. You know, like yeah, energy level didn't look yeah. like it was there, and his velocity was down. Um, but you know, I mean, it, that's sometimes you just don't have it either, and and he's still going to go battle, and, and yeah. it had just been a coincidence that he happened to have that day and not have it, and long layoff, hadn't pitched in however many days, uh, you know, all that kind of adds up, but yeah. they did a great job bouncing back from that. Cause I think you're shocked when Max goes out and does that and you know, you're down 0 one in the series. And on the other hand, any, if there were any skeptics about Kyle Wright's 21 yeah. wins, you know, people that poo poo the wins and, and go on other, you know, all his numbers were great though, but the wins really stood out. And, and, uh, if there were any questions, people probably wanted to see how he would respond in the postseason, even though he obviously <laughs> made his reputation last year pitching in that World Series yep. game when he came in the first inning. But to get a start in the postseason, how would he respond? And, and man, he looked like he did all year in his best moments. I mean, he just was, uh, he was sharp. He looked like he was totally unfazed by it being a postseason. He was just cool and calm the whole way, aggressive, loved his curveball. He used it like one of the highest percentages ever used it, like 42% of the time. And he threw a lot of four-seamers, man. He was throw, he was aggressive. Yeah, he's, he's got his stuff locked into the point where now he just has to make pitches. I mean, you tell young pitchers all the time. You know, good pitches get big league hitters out. You just got to make pitches. But when their stuff's off or they're not mm-hmm. picking the right pitches to throw, you know, maybe they're lacking some deception, something's wrong with their delivery, you make good pitches and they still get hit. Uh, but he's at the point now where his stuff is locked mm-hmm. in. That curveball has been dynamite for him. And he, you know, it's just you can learn that lesson and fully understand it. And so no, no matter how big the game is, he knows if he goes out, takes his stuff and makes quality pitches, he's going to have a good start. Um, So he's in a good place. I think that, you know, pitching game two down 0-1 is probably a lot more pressure than pitching game 1-0-0. Yeah, and and I also think the couple of those uh, breaks that he had when he had, you know, some arm fatigue and that, I think are really right now – it's going to help him out because he's got he had you know uh, probably has about 20 innings less on his arm than he would have if he did if he had not taken those breaks, you know missed a couple of starts missed three starts and uh, he really is uh, it looks fresh right now his stuff looks as be- as good as it has all year and that's not always the case with a starter at this point um, so that's a real big big plus um, the bullpen has been has just been nails for months now and. I really like how they've stepped up. Kenley, for those who dismissed Kenley and said they should have made a change and wondered how he'd do in the postseason, man, he showed, he showed, he pitched like a guy who has made a, he, he has made, he's literally made a season's worth of, uh, appearances in the postseason. He's had a full season's worth of appearances in postseason play. Yeah. Well, I think that, you know, with him, he just lost that cutter for a bit. Yeah. And, you know, I think that. Yeah. The one, the game that stood out the most to me was that game in Seattle. He gave up two homers yeah. in a row, you know, on a curveball and a sinker. Mm-hmm. And that, that was him trying to figure out what I'm supposed to do without my cutter, you know. And I think that when you have a pitch that he has, the goal has to be to get that thing back and not really experiment with other stuff. But when he didn't have it, he kind of had to tinker and figure out what to do. Yeah. Um, but if you've watched the swings, I think it was probably his last like five, six appearances of the season. I, I started seeing those swings again. Uh-huh. Like the, the Mark Hanna strikeout, he threw a cutter right down the middle. Yeah, and it doesn't look like it does a lot, but it's when it does it. It, it gets there and it just moves late. Um, I thought that 
if you saw it, I think you saw it, that Jazz Chisholm uh, yeah, video from I was watching Network, that. Where he yep. just talked about, you know, he said he threw me a sinker down the middle, he threw me a cutter down the middle, and he threw me another cutter yeah. down the middle. And I'm trying to get on top of it. I feel like yeah. I'm getting the bat head above it and swinging straight down on it, and I'm still not on top of this pitch. He was talking about how Kenley's ball just has this like rise to it. He's like, you think of a cutter, you think straight across. Yeah. Think of a sinker, you think down and away. These balls go up with that action. Yeah. And it's just, it's like we've talked about with Mariano, where a hitter's eyes just can't process the movement because it's so late. So when he has his cutter locked in like that, I mean, he's he's gonna do what he's done his whole career. Yeah, I thought I thought Jazz's comments were. Were so it was such a great explanation of what makes Kenley able to be so dominant when he's on, despite the fact that he doesn't throw 98. You know, uh, the way he described it, like you said, the movement, how the cutter seems like it's going up in a way. Yeah. And, and he talked about going back to the dugout and telling one of his buddies in the dugout, man, something just ain't right. That ain't just ain't ain't ain't. Up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so it's it's obviously huge to have him back. And you know what he said when he was struggling for the stretch there? He said he was he was he was uh, trying to make a small fix in his mechanics. And, you know, sometimes that comes across as, yeah, guys just saying that he has no idea why he's struggling. He's just losing it. He's getting old. But I mean, it was clear. It's obvious he was trying to make an adjustment because once he made it, his last 11 appearances, I think it was in the regular season, other than the one where he loaded the bases, which he got out of. He had he was nails the last like month and a uh, half month of the season. He was sharp, man. So he's carried that into the postseason. They got him right where they right where they want him right now, which is big because losing Tyler Matzik and we, and we had said for you know we had said all season that, that he was trying to get back to the form he had last year, but he just hadn't gotten there. And 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 it was pretty clear with a couple of weeks to go before the postseason that he was not going to be one of the core guys. Right. He just didn't have the same stuff. And now we know why. Yeah. Yeah. They, I mean, two guys, relief pitchers, it's, it's funny. You give it everything you got and then you blow out and they have to move on. You know, yeah. mean, nobody, nobody gets hung up over relief pitchers, but those guys gave it Luke and, and yeah. Tyler gave it everything they had and got this team a ring last year. How about that? I you paid the that, price, man, for, yep. for for leaving it all out there. You pay the price, but I mean, even in in my situation, I was glad I took the ball every day. It's something you can be proud in versus you know saving your arm and protecting it and never yep. really getting to. There's a good feeling about just taking the ball every day, and they'll have that World Series ring forever. Um, I think with Tyler, you could see for a big part of the season that something was off. I mean, his velocity was down five, six miles an hour. Right. And it's kind of one of those things where, you know, he wants to be out there. He wants to power through it, but the ball's just coming out of your hand dead. And not everybody has their ligament just snapping too. Right. You know, a lot of guys, it kind of just wears away. And eventually you're throwing 91. You're like, what's going on? They do an MRI and then, oh yeah, you have a 95% tear in your own lateral ligaments. So we're going to have to operate on this thing. You know, in his situation, it's tough that they, the timing of it sucks. You know, you would have liked to find this out in April or May and be able to yeah. get a job next year. Yeah. But I don't think he's making a ton in arbitration. They could sign him back knowing that he's got a couple years of service left. And, and the Braves are good about that stuff yeah. with people who've done a lot for the organization. I mean, they're, they've shown under, under Alex and that they are, that loyalty is a two-way street with him in these situations. So, yeah. I mean, Luke Jackson, I fully expect to be back in some capacity next year until he's ready to pitch. So, We'll see. Eric, let's hear from today's sponsors. 
Yeah, Matzik, it's funny when you look at it. Four, the four, the bullpen was absolutely the, the the number one strength of that team in the, in the postseason last year. Yeah. I mean, the bullpen was amazing. And when you look at it, three of the four guys, the only one that's in that's in the core right now is AJ. Yep. Will Smith struggled during the season, got traded. The other two guys blew out. Luke blew out in the spring, and Matzik blew out at some point during the season. Uh, yep. You know, as they called it an impingement, I'm sure that was probably inflammation, you know, around that or maybe the start of a tear or something. Who knows? Well, it's it's usually you start feeling it in other places, you know, because you're compensating. Uh-huh. I think he had the shoulder injury. Shoulder impingement. Yeah. So you got this. You're trying to find that velo somewhere and the stress goes right. to your shoulder because your, your, your elbow's so torn up, it just can't relay the message that right. you need to go faster. You know, there's all right. this lag in it. And I think that that's probably why his shoulder hurt was because he was trying to find the velocity or mm-hmm. even just, you know, subconsciously changed his his arm slot or how how he was putting force on the ball. And that's, I mean, I kind of went through the same thing. It's You see it a lot with relievers. Yeah, he could have been pitching with a partial tear at the time. I mean, it could have been, yeah. you know, started Which, stretching probably had it partially torn the last four or five yeah. years and then finally just you know having that long long season for the first time last right. year that's kind of that's what and comes out and in the postseason last year remember he his, his vela went up yep <laughs> i mean i mean that guy left it literally it was all it was all out there yeah <laughs> yep. so as did luke i mean luke comes back to spring and when he tries to ramp it up at spring uh oh. <laughs> well, that was so, like that spring training in thirteen. I came to the Braves and McCann was giving me shit because I was throwing eighty two miles an hour. <laughs> I was like, it feels the same, man. I feel like I'm putting something on this thing. And when that ligament's not relaying the signal, it just kind of uh-huh. poofs out of there. So, um, big thing. Strider announces game three starter for tonight. That didn't surprise me. I know a lot of people were thinking they might go with Charlie because of the uh, the postseason pedigree and the long layoff for Strider. But I think it's worth the risk. And they've seen Strider throw these bullpens. They know what he's capable of right now, yeah. even though we don't know. They've seen it, and they wouldn't run him out there if he didn't look normal in these live BPs. I mean, he's thrown to enough hitters that you can kind of get a good idea where he is. I think the only question would be how deep he could go. But I fully expect him to be – if not at full effectiveness, then close to it when he steps, throws that first pitch tonight. I mean, he's thrown multiple bullpens and yep. fa- I'm sure he's faced hitters. So they're doing this. If you look at his numbers against the Phillies this year, it was absolute dominance. If you look at Charlie's numbers, you know, it's given up a lot of home runs this year. That's a hitter's park. You get the ball in the air there, especially if it's blowing out and it will leave the yard. So. This is this is a pretty much a must-win game again for the Braves. Cause you're at cause you're at Philly. You don't want to lose this game and then be facing an elimination game at yeah. Philly, where they haven't had a postseason game in a long time. Those that crowd is going to be jacked up, yes. and they play well at home too. Oh yeah, they had the best environment in baseball when you know two thousand seven, eight, nine. I mean, pregame, the stadium was crazy, and it, yeah. it just carried through the whole game. Um, the only question, I think, the thing the team was debating is. Strider's obviously, I mean, he hasn't pitched in a while, so you're not going to be able to get six, seven innings out of him. I'd expect him to go two to four. Um, Mm -hmm. And if you have to dig deep into this bullpen and then Charlie's not sharp tomorrow, I mean, you could be in a really tough spot where vice versa, you could have Charlie start and you know he can at least eat the innings. You know, it's playoffs, so you can't just let him get beat up. But you know Charlie can battle and get through five no matter what. 
then you may only have to use two or three yeah. levers. Um, so that's kind of, I think that's, that's what you got to weigh. Yeah. That's what you have to weigh, but the importance of winning this game versus the importance of wearing out, not wearing out your bullpen potentially. Right. But they had a day off and yeah, exactly. You do different stuff in the playoffs. You know, Minner can go to, you can, you can stretch. McHugh can go to if he has to. Yeah. So you got a fresh pen in that sense. Um, I don't, I don't expect Strider to be, you know, velo down or anything like he's not one of those guys that's doing his rehab, just laying on a training table, waiting for things to feel better. No, no, man. I, 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 th- I'm, I guess I'm more optimistic about it than some people. Cause I, I would be shocked if he didn't go at least four and I would not be surprised if he went six. I really wouldn't, but I think he'll go at least four or five and their bullpen will be fine. You know, you, it won't be much different than usual, especially coming off an off day. And like you said, this is the postseason, you know, um, it hurts that you don't have an, an, uh, an extra travel day coming back because right. if right. it goes get five games, that fifth game, it's going to be three straight games. But, you know, that's what you do all year. And this is a bullpen that down the stretch, they have enough guys that they can do that much better. They're much better suited, I think, to do that than Philly's bullpen, although Philly's bullpen has pitched a lot better lately. Uh, the Braves have got about four or five horses down there and the Phillies have two or three. Yeah. Yeah, they're they're definitely deeper and it, more experienced. The guys are going to be willing to do what they have to do. Um, yeah, and you're coming back with Freed and a five if you need to, and you know you can count on Freed. I think this time to be closer to normal. Yeah, if he's if he if he went out there and felt drained or whatever, he's going to attack that. He's going to carve up whatever he has to yeah. do, figure out why he wasn't right. Um, yeah, put some weight on them bones in three or four days yeah. between starts. Some cheeseburgers. You know? Yeah. So it's going to be interesting. Uh, I think Acuna, that was obviously a huge sigh of relief, seeing him stay in the game. You know, I mean, with Ronald, uh, um, he's a guy that uh, he's obviously tough to stay in the game, but he's also a guy that, uh, you know, he's not going to run. He's he's not one of those guys that needs to feel like I need to show this is not hurting and run straight to the first baseline. In other words, he doesn't mind playing up the, you know, the dramatics of it or at all. And, yeah. and I'm sure it hurt because especially if he got hurt in a funny yeah. one, it was 98 miles an hour, man. It hurt like hell. Yeah. And, and for a right, and for what second there, I thought it might be something really serious, you know, that, I mean, you hit, hit that spot, it can fracture an elbow. So, yeah. so that was huge. I think keeping a man, obviously he's not the MVP level Acuna, but he's important, man, to this team. And, and especially he's playing great defense again now. He's really getting the balls again, but not like he did for most of the year. And he's getting on base. I mean, look at his numbers in the postseason. He's getting on base. You don't have anybody you can replace him with. You don't want to have to move Dansby up, move everybody else up in the order and replace him in the lineup, you know, with you would probably move RC to the outfield and have Grissom play in second, which is still. You know, you can still win with that lineup, but this is just better having Acuna in there, obviously. Yeah, he's for me, he's starting to look more and more like yeah. himself every game. Yeah, me too. I mean, and there's something about him. He's one of those guys for me that he's going to step up big in playoffs. You know, that yeah. he, he feeds off of that. He's not going to be nervous. Um, and he looked like, I mean, he let off the game with a single or a double maybe. But, I mean, he's been on base five times already in, in two games. Yeah, so I, I like where the Braves are. I mean, that was obviously – it was absolutely a must-win game in game two, and they answered the bell, and here we are. We're back to zero. Philly now really has home field advantage, obviously. It's a best-of-three series now with two games in Philly. So, But, you know, the Braves played well against the Phillies all year. Um, 
I think the big wild card is Strider. How much he can give you tonight? If he's close to normal Strider, then I'd really like him against Nola. That's, that's a great pitching matchup. Uh, and I like Charlie to step up in tomorrow's situation. You know, Charlie has such a postseason pedigree, and it seems like he can summon it when he needs to. He's not the old Charlie, but he's still got, you know, he's not going to be right. He's not going to be at all rattled. And, and and if the Braves could pull it off tonight and win, you like Charlie and the chances to close it out tomorrow. And if not, then at least, you know, keep him in it and give him the innings and not wear out that bullpen for a game five. Yeah, and the, the Phillies could play into his hand a little bit because they've been pretty aggressive in this series. Uh, you know, worked against Max. It didn't. It played right into Kyle's hand. Yeah, um, yeah. Charlie's got a ton of movement. Sakers, big sweeping breaking ball. Uh, they strike out quite a bit. Uh, I think mm-hmm. that it could it could work out for him. It's crazy. We even have to talk about. You know, it's with his postseason. Yeah, record, it's crazy. We even have to bring that up. But he has been. He hasn't quite been the same this year. So I guess it makes you worry. But I think he'll step right. up in a big game too. Right. You'd like to win. You, you really would like to win tonight and not face that, you know, elimination game tomorrow with uh, with all that entails. But because if you're facing elimination tomorrow, you have to pull Charlie early, obviously, yep. if he's uh, if he's if he's struggling at all. But if you don't, you win tonight and you're not facing elimination tomorrow. You can let him go a little deep because we've seen him. How many times have we seen him this year give up two runs in the first inning? Or two runs in the second inning and still give you six, yeah, yeah. six quality and a quality start, or not give up more than four runs. So, yeah. so this is a big one tonight, obviously. I guess we can take some questions now, man. All right, let's. Uh... Oh, oh, but about how about how about the uh, Strider contract, man? That was the uh, I loved Ken's story today, where he explained why. Where this one's different than the other ones with the Braves. This is the first one that's not extremely team friendly. In that they gave it to a pitcher, which they haven't done before. They haven't given the long-term extension to a pitcher. And the way they front-loaded it, they still stay, they still stayed within that 20, they have not gone over 22 million. It's, that's obviously their number that they do not want to go over with any of these contracts. No single year does any salary go over 22 million. And with him, the back end of that is, is where he, if you if you if you take what he would normally make going through arbitration, they're paying him a whole lot more in those arbitration years than he normally would. So but as a, as a result, at the back end, they would not be paying him the 30, 35 million he might get if he's on the free agent market. So you're having that cost control that they love. But in, but he's not getting screwed at all. You know, I mean, he's getting a fair deal for what he would be getting you know, over that, if they pick up that option, he's still, uh, and if they don't, if they decline that option, as, as Kenny explained it, if you take what he would normally make in these pre-arb years and arb years, and then they decline that option and pay the five million buyout, he would in effect be getting about 50 million for that last year. Yeah. Yeah. If you subtract what he normally would get in arbitration, if they just went through the arbitration process, in this contract, he would in effect be getting about fifty million in that last year. And if they don't, he'll still be getting for those last two years about the thirty million or so that he would be getting in those years each year. So it's it's a fair deal, you know, for both sides. And it just shows how much confidence the Braves have in this guy and how entirely unusual and special that he is. He's not like anybody they've had. Yeah, I mean he's you know, if he put together two more years like he just had yeah, he's gonna start setting some arbitration records. Oh yeah, and and I think that's that's and probably, they know that 
that's the risk that they don't want to take is that right. he gets to the point where he's making 20 something in arbitration his last right. year or two. Um, but it, the way I look at it, it, it's one thing for position players, you know, position players don't often have injuries that just derail their whole career. I mean, you saw Acuna had the ACL and he's back and he's going to be back to normal next year. But with pitchers, one surgery, man, if, especially if it's a, a shoulder, but one Tommy John, there's stuff that can happen to pitchers where it's just, it's basically a wrap or you have to move to the pen or you're throwing 92 now and you're, you know, you're just a fifth starter. It, it can happen pretty quick for a pitcher. There's a lot more risk on the team's end. And if you're in Strider's shoes and you've already had one of those injuries, you've already had a Tommy John. And the second one, if you have to have a second one, is a lot more risky and a lot harder to come back from. You get 70 million thrown at you. I mean, why wouldn't you take it? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. With the, with the injury risk with a pitcher, then it's just a different animal than with different a position animal. player. Yeah. And they didn't buy out. I mean, he's going to hit free agency still young to have a to have a big deal if he just stays healthy. He can have a huge contract still like most of these guys that they signed those long term deals to. So good deal for both sides in this case and not a one sided one at all. But uh, very smart of them to lock this guy up because he's one you build around. And it gives him this cost control that, uh, you know, it never goes over 22 million. So he's yet another guy that it leaves them the room to, to sign some, a couple more guys to long-term deals or to bring in a free agency. So a free agent. So they're still not, you know, they're still not going to be strapped where they can't sign. And I, I personally think they can still sign Dansby if he's willing to work with them. I'm not asking, to, you know, hometown discount, but if they're willing to go a little longer, maybe then they would feel comfortable with normally. What I had in mind is if they were willing to, because 22 million is obviously the number for them. That is the number that they've decided they don't want to go over with anybody. You could go six years, 132 million with Dansby. I don't know if he'd take that, but you'd still be at 22 million a year if you wanted to do it even over the whole course of the contract. I don't think he would take five years and 110 million with with the season he's having, but maybe six years, 132 gets it done. I don't know. Yeah, he might be he might be willing to to do the length, you know, sacrifice yeah. some some year yeah. value for length. Because he's not as young as some of these other guys, obviously. With him, it's just all going to come down to you know what happens with Trey Turner. Does the Dodgers want to sign him? Freddie's going to be in anybody's ear that that listen in L.A. saying we got to have this guy if Turner doesn't sign back with L.A. What Correa does, um, but it's just going to come down to what teams are willing to offer Dansby and how big that gap is because. Yeah. I think, you know, they would have they would have already agreed to something if I can't imagine the Braves offer. He gets the free agency and all of a sudden they're like, oh, you're a free agent now. We'll offer you 10 more million a year. You know, I mean, I think that both sides pretty much know where they're at at this point and They haven't been able to agree. But if nobody blows the Braves out of the water, I think he'd like to be in Atlanta. Oh, absolutely. He wants to be here. Yeah, no question. Guys, let's take a quick break and then we'll finish up the show. Let's take some questions. All right. Let's see who we got. Dylan, Dylan K. You there? Hey, fellas. Can you hear me? Yeah. Hey, guys. Uh, first, I just want to say, um, DOB, we've been thinking about you, and you're in our thoughts, uh, you and your entire family, man. So I appreciate you jumping on and doing this, but just want to let you know that. Thank you, man. That means a lot. I appreciate it. Thank you. <clears throat> uh, wanted to ask you guys thoughts on the Grossman pinch hit. You know, obviously, Grossman hasn't been doing too well. Comes in at a big moment. You know, and then we really haven't seen Grossman since. Do you, is, are you hearing that he might be hurt, or was that just kind of a call to play Grossman, maybe find lightning in a bottle? Just curious your thoughts. 
No, no, he's not hurt. No. But what was the question? Well, just because he, you know, we haven't seen him since. You know, obviously they started Ozuna, but, you know, uh, I was just curious. Well, that's matchups. In the fifth yeah. inning. Ozuna's swinging a hot bat. Yeah, I mean, swing, down the stretch, Ozuna, you know, he could run, run into one at any time. He just swung a lot better down the stretch. And it's also matchups, you know, lefty, righty, that kind of thing. So, but no, he's not hurt. Got it. Thanks, guys. He's fine. Yep, you got it, man. Thank you. Lee C. What's up, Lee? Yeah, hey guys. Um, really, just want to know your view on the decision to give second base to RC a full time over Grissom. It really seemed like Grissom brought great energy to the lineup when he was in there, and just wanted your thoughts on on how that's going. Snit had a hunch down the stretch. He liked the way uh, it, Grissom had really struggled for a while. I mean, you got to look back at the numbers. It, it he had really fallen. Uh, <laughs> After that initial burst, he played great for, you know, his first whatever it was, couple of months. But he had really struggled for for really a couple of weeks. It wasn't a matter of three or four games. It was a couple of weeks. He was doing nothing offensively, made a couple of errors, and he wanted to go with Arcia because Arcia, if you if you recall, when uh, Ozzy got hurt, Arcia played great. And then he slumped, or uh, then he got hurt, and that's how Grissom got in the lineup to begin with. So when Arcia was healthy – he played great, and Snit liked having a veteran there. He likes his RC's defense is better. Uh, he's got a he's got an unbelievable uh, catch and throw. The transition is just so fast, and he just hit better down the stretch than than Grissom. I mean, I know people like Grissom, you know, and he's going to be a good play, great player probably long term. But RC was gives him a better chance to win right now, or Snit wouldn't be using him. Or Snit believes he does. That's all. There's nothing else to it, you know. He just played better after they put him. At, he got a hunch, put him in there, and he played better than Grissom had been playing. Yeah, makes sense. That's when all. are we going to see Ozzy? You think? Um, I don't know, man. I he still had a cast on last week, so even if he's out there taking grounders, you know, and and is able to. He wasn't able to throw yet, obviously, but even after he gets the cast off and he can throw, I, I, I wonder how how he's going to be able to grip a bat right away. So that just seems like a really big a stretch to expect much from him during a postseason. Maybe they get to the World Series. Maybe we see him and he can do gets that cast off and he has a couple of weeks to really strengthen the thumb. But until then, that's a tough ask to expect him to get in there and. And, and, well. be, uh, and be better than the guy that got in there, you know, yeah. coming off of that. That's a tough injury to come back from on such short notice. So I, I don't know if I answered your question, but I, to me, it just seems like a stretch to expect him uh, in the LCS. I could be wrong, but he's been out there taking grounders from now for a couple of weeks, doing everything he possibly can to be ready to come back. But uh, gripping a bat to me seems like it would be really difficult to expect him to hit. 98 mile an hour heaters yeah. with, after coming off that in, break a break broken with, pinky. at a hundred percent with no broken pinky or anything yeah. I mean, just all the time he's had off this year he's barely gotten to play um expecting him to be sharp the, the biggest hurdles facing live pitching so you can go take all the ground balls you want but you got to get in the box and see that 97 98 to to be able to hit it um but for me it's it's kind of like he's just a wild card if they can get him and he's back and he's good. That'd be great. But you can't you can't bank on that. Yeah. Great insight. Thanks as always, guys. Yep. Yeah. KCM. What's going on, guys? Um, my question was: We actually looking at the batter versus pitcher stats. We've actually hit Nola pretty well as a team. There's like six guys yeah. above a 
770 yeah. OPS. Two of them are Marcelo Zuna and uh, Bill Contreras. I'm wondering, is there any chance that we see both of them in the lineup tonight? Yeah, there's a chance. Yeah. Um, you think Stim would play him in left? I think he would. Um, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not saying I, I think it will be, but there's a chance for sure. But he's gonna. He's gonna. I. I, I would be surprised if he doesn't catch. Uh, Darno, he really likes Darno in the postseason nice. catching these guys. But uh, he's had some good at bats too, Darno. Yes, he is. He's really looked good. So uh, he's not going to catch, but yeah, there's a chance you could see Ozuna in left. I'm not expecting it though. I think with with for me with Darno, you know, regardless of what the numbers say, you can look at the way he's swinging the bat right now and know that. Yeah, I probably want him in the game oh, over anybody. On. Yeah, yeah, and he's and he's. You know, like the postseason where he caught every game last year, he caught every game. The one, yeah. Game. I mean, he's a uh, he's your he's your guy. But uh, yeah, I, it'll be tough to work it in there. I, Snip doesn't usually go that hard on matchups, you know, especially when defense is involved. And, and but but Ozuna, you know, that left field, left center is tricky there. But with Harris, that takes away that 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 element because he gets to everything. So. It's not uh, a big left field. It's not a big left field. So, and it, and it doesn't have a towering wall or anything like that. Ozona did play there quite a bit during the season. I can recall him being out there many times. So, okay, we'll see. We'll see. I don't know. I I, I forgot that how well what the uh, matchup. What what are the numbers on Ozuna? I remember. I remember what the last time they faced him. Ozuna's numbers were really good against him. Yeah, Ozuna's got a 780 OPS. Uh, Bill has a 779. The next highest on the team is Dansby with a 617. Well, so those aren't real OPSs. Yeah, nobody's hitting yeah. Him that well. Yeah, I, yeah, you I mean, it's Nola, you know? Yeah. 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 I mean, you got Ronald and Riley have one daughters. Harris has a 909. Uh, Olsen's has got a 783. So, you know, slim pickings beyond that. Yeah, if you were talking about a 1,200 OPS, I'd say, yeah, there's a good chance. But that's <laughs> yeah. really not much of a difference when you take in the, the, the difference in the defensive quality. is. <laughs> well, Rosario's got like a 400, so that's, that's what you're up against. Yeah. Yeah, that's a yeah. tough uh, – he's got a tough – He's got a tough um, arsenal for Rosario's bat path. But, yeah. you know, for me, I, I think of it, like Dave said, like a 1,200, 1,300 OPS. There's some guys that it doesn't even have to add up either. You know, the guy could have hit 220 this season, but off of DeGrom, he's got a 1,300 OPS for no reason at all. You can't even put it together. He just happens to to see him well. Um, so I was thinking it was going to be some numbers like that. And in that case, you might consider it sacrificing some defense for a guy that just destroys a pitcher. Um, but with those numbers, yeah, I think you, you stick with the defense and, and you're just strongest overall lineup. Let me look at this. Uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Thanks, Casey. Yeah, thanks, man. Appreciate it. Thank you. Graham H. What's up, Graham? You there? Yeah, I'm here. Um, DOB, we're, we're thinking about you like the other guys called. Thanks, man. Said, Appreciate um, it. I, uh, I was just curious, um, you know, we've all watched the Braves all season. Clearly, uh, Spencer Strider's been dominant and uh, hasn't pitched in a month, but, you know, Charlie's been struggling a little bit. It seemed like kind of a no-brainer to start him and then um, kind of bring the bullpen in, in if uh, Spencer couldn't last. Just your thoughts on that. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's a no-brainer to me though. It seemed like the the it seemed like the right choice all along. I just Charlie, if, if this had been last year's Charlie, I would have said, yeah, that's a no-brainer for Charlie. But uh, Strider's just his numbers. His numbers overall are so much better, but his numbers against Philly are just ridiculous. I mean, Strider against Philly this year, four in four games, three starts, four and zero with a one two seven ERA, twenty one and third innings. He has thirty four strikeouts and seven walks Oof. with seven hits allowed. Two of those home runs, three runs. So two, probably all three of them were on two home runs. Thirty four strikeouts, seven walks, and twenty one innings. I mean, it's just. Completely dominated them. 0656 whip, 13.5 strikeouts per nine innings. I mean, strikeout rate is about as normal. <laughs> That's his yeah. normal strikeout rate. But I mean, he's just walked, he's just completely shut them down, man. 14.3 actually, the strikeout rate per nine innings. I think they probably knew what they were going to do. You know, I think teams do it in the playoffs, they don't want to announce that starter and give you an extra day to break them down, look for tips, look at film and all that. Right. See exactly. a lot of these kind of late announces, but they, they have a strong feeling of what they're going to do, or at least what they want to do, but they probably want to see him throw a little bit too. You know, yeah. I mean, if he's throwing in his bullpens, the ball's not really coming out hot of his hand or he looks off or you can see him babying it or, or, or missing spots, you might want to give him an extra day, but they probably knew for the most part what they wanted to do here. Um, I think they knew this. They announced it. I think they've known this for about two weeks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, at, yeah. At least a week, and I'm totally with you. When when a team has a chance, any any chance at all to withhold naming the starter without it looking yeah. totally cheesy, you know, without it looking yep. like uh, bad sportsmanship, yep, uh, they take advantage of that these days. It's, it used to be different. You used to teams didn't withhold the name of the starter until the oh, until game day at all, and that you should it didn't happen. But now it happens routinely, and, and teams can hide behind any little thing to give them that edge. Yep. Because with analytics, man, they put together a scouting report, a game plan that just didn't happen 10 years ago. The game plan these days is so deep that if the team doesn't know, if they have to do game plan for two different starters up until, you know, six hours before the game, that can make a difference. Yeah, and you you want those players coming to the park not knowing if they're who they're facing yep. or if they're playing or not. Yeah, I mean, just any uncertainty you can add to the other side. Absolutely. I think I mean it'd be cheesy to announce it two hours before the game or when he's jogging out of the dugout. Right there, he is. That, that right. would that would be kind of corny. But for the most part, now if teams get a chance to put any doubt or not let you yep. prepare as much, they see. You know, it, on man. those off days, hitters are going to watch video of this pitcher and kind of yep. come up and formulate a plan too. It's not just the analytics department. The players themselves are preparing, and now they don't even know if they're playing or who they're facing because the, the, the starting pitcher is going to dictate that. So kind of one of those things I think they knew for quite a bit or had a pretty strong you know inclination of what they were going to do, but they had something to hide behind. Why announce it early and give them more time to prepare? Eric, yeah. you had said in, a, in some of the other shows, you had said that um, sometimes <clears throat> they'll kind of put someone on the IL like – you know, hey, you're struggling a little bit, uh, kind of like what we assume happened with Darren O'Day. Um, do you think that's there's a possibility that maybe they were like, we want to kind of find a way to rest Spencer, so we're going to use no, this as not, a reason? No, not at no. this point. I mean, you'd no, like you would rest him, him for four weeks. You rest him in September, maybe early, but you'd want him to get a start or two heading into the playoffs. Yeah, this is start getting into it. You don't want his first outing in a long time to be in the playoffs if you can avoid that. As far yeah. as you know, knowing what you're going to get out of him, Russ competing. Um, this was legit. 
Yeah, it was legit. It was legit. And they're just hoping beyond hope that it's not an oblique like I mean, they don't think it was severe, but they didn't think it was severe when they didn't when they elected not to put him on the I.L. initially. And then he goes out to throw his between starts bullpen and like immediately felt it. So they're like, okay, we're going to be overly cautious this time and give it every chance to heal, even if that you know, potentially hurts him a little bit, missing that much time. But the other side of that is they knew if he went back out there, did the same thing after two weeks and felt it again, he's done, you know, then you're starting over again. So this way they felt like it's a relatively mild oblique. We're going to give it four weeks, you know, or two weeks before he even starts throwing, didn't throw at all for a couple of weeks. So they felt that, and, and he's felt really good in this to me. He's passed, uh, you know, he's thrown full on bullpens and all that. So I, I don't, it would be kind of surprising if it, if it, he goes out there in the first inning and all of a sudden they'll bleak certain again. Yeah. I think you, you would just weigh the risk. Like we can, they, I mean, they had to, they had to have him on the DL to fight while they were fighting for the division. So yeah, you weigh the risk yeah. of if it's right, if they're willing to risk that, it's legit. And you're also thinking we can't possibly not have this guy for the playoffs because he's been so good. So they were. In this case, it was probably one of those things where they wanted him out there, but they couldn't possibly risk him not being out there for the playoffs. Yeah. Eddie Rosario, by the way, I think the sample size for him against Nola is probably too small. It's only two for 11, two walks, four strikeouts. Um, Ozuna's a little different. Is it two walks? Let's see. Four strikeouts. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a pretty small sample size. Ozuna's is pretty good sample size. Uh, Mixed results, 11 for 41, does have three homers, also has 16 strikeouts. Um, so, you know, you weigh all that, but 268 average and 268 OBP for him. 16 strikeouts with no walks, so it's not like that's great. He ran into three, yeah. But, um, you know, I don't know that that's – and, and also, Zuna was a different hitter, you know, a couple of these years in the last five years, he was a totally different catch him. Yeah, exactly. There were years. I mean, remember during the shortened season, he led the national league in home runs and RBIs. Well, he's yeah. not that hitter now. So he might've hit a couple of those home runs off, off Nola that year. I, I bet if I went back and looked, I bet he did. So that's why matchups are for me sometimes overdone. Cause yeah, you know, I remember getting, I remember Ty Wigington and hit a home run off me in 2006 and I'm pitching in a game with a game on the line in 2011 and though, you know, it's, oh, Wigington had hit a home run off him before, but I was a completely different pitcher in 2006 than I was 11. Yeah. And with Ozuna's up and downs, I mean, when he's down, anybody yeah. can get him out. When he's exactly. high, like, nobody's getting him out. It's exactly. kind of, it's tough to really rely too heavily on matchups with streaky hitters unless you actually go back and look at his last 30 games before that matchup itself and, and, and weigh it that way. And I don't know if that's done or not. And if you thought Acuna was going to miss this game, you're crazy, man. You know what he is against Nola? 13 for 43, 361 average, four doubles, four home runs, seven walks, 465 OBP, 806 slugging, 1271 OPS. Yeah, Nola's going to have to try to throw him sinkers down under his hands. I mean, that's uh, that's some of the best numbers of anybody off Nola in in that in that many at bats. Yeah. I'm looking well, down. I'm looking down the list, and you know, there's only a couple of guys that have had kind of double-digit uh, plate appearances against Nola with uh, with better numbers than Acuna has against him. There's only a I few. I like that quote he had handful. after the game. He said, "I've already missed one postseason. I'm not missing another one." Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> All right. Uh, take a couple more here. Got. Couple Chris more. W. Hey, I don't know if you guys saw the uh, lineup just came out. They got uh, yeah, yeah. Grissom's going to be in there, so that's I'm kind of pumped about that. See the young guy go. Hey, um, Grissom, oh, a second. Yeah, Grissom's going to play, and uh, they got Eddie in left field tonight. Yes. Yeah. There you go. So there you go. the the. Uh, you know, I, I just wanted to kind of pick up on something you guys were talking about, Dansby, before. It's mm-hmm. like, I just feel like it's become so apparent the last few weeks, like, how important he really is to this team. Like, I feel like at this point, losing Dansby would be, like, worse than losing Freddie was last year. And I didn't think that that could ever be a possibility. But when you just look at how, like, these young guys have been looking up to Dansby and, and just the way he's really kind of taken over this team, do you really think that the Braves can afford to, like, let this guy go? I mean, even if you replace him, you can't replace him with Correa. That guy's a jerk-off. Like, you know, I mean, it's just true. He seems like a self-centered guy, you know what well, I mean? Well, you're not going like, to afford him anyway. Right, yeah, I, I agree. But I'm just saying, like, you can't just replace Dansby with anybody. Yeah, I would yeah. agree. I would agree. Uh, turn off your thing so you don't echo. I would agree with you that uh, it could be worse than losing Freddie, not because he's as good a player as Freddie, because Freddie's one of the better hitters in the majors, but you replaced Freddie with Olsen. I don't think the replacement that you're going to get for Dansby, one, you're not going to get a long-term replacement for Dansby that's anywhere close to being what the Olsen long-term replacement for Freddie is, if that makes sense. You're going to have to get a bridge guy, I think, if you get a, a high-level shortstop to bridge because you're not going to you're not going to stick Von Grissom in there next year. You're not going to have a second year guy filling Dansby Swanson's shoes and all that went with that. He's the captain of the infield. So you're going to have to get a veteran guy to to handle that position. Unless you know you think Arcia can do it for a year, but I I really don't think they want to do that. Arcia can play shortstop and he's played it for a division winning team with Milwaukee, but that's not what they want. They want a guy that can do the things Dansby can do or close, you know, and and, and including hit you know, 25 home runs, but uh, Dansby just brings so many intangibles as you alluded to. And, and I, I think they got to go, they got to go if, if it, if it takes going six years with him and they want it cause they want that cost control, that $22 million magic number. And, and uh, you know, unless Dansby just wants, you know, six years and $150 million, then he's probably out of their price range, obviously, because they're not going to pay him probably $3 million more a year long-term deal than they're paying anybody else on the team. Um, but if he'll sign for a reasonable, you know, a $22 million a year contract, say six years, then then you got to do that. You got to be willing to, because he brings so much to this team. And I think you're really, we, and we've talked about this at length that Eric and I have about what that means to the culture of this team to keep, you know, if you lose another one of those key pieces, um, I don't think you have an outspoken, uh, a veteran type leader to step into that void right away because, you know, Austin Raleigh's not that type of guy. Olsen is definitely not that type of guy. He's a great guy. Everybody loves him. And he, and, and in the clubhouse, he's great, but he's not an outspoken guy, not a loud guy. He leads by example more than anything else. And uh, Dansby's kind of t- take assumed that leadership role, become more talkative, and being the the uh, the guy with the most tenure on the team. And if you cut him off, then it's a big step down to the next guy with the most tenure, you know, on the team. Nobody's close. I just don't think you can really put a value on it. You know how much it means. But you, you got a guy like Grissom can look up to him. 
that yeah you learn how to play the game grissom comfortable you know yeah. just, there's a lot of guys that would be threatened by grissom like this is the reason i'm not right. gonna get my 25 a year right I, you know the biggest threat is just i think the answer a, a lot of players want when they're in this position is you know okay i want to stay in atlanta i'll take less but he's gonna find out you know how much less or how much he's leaving on the table pretty quick in those first couple of weeks of free agency uh, but at the same time, I feel like if they were going to get something done, it, it would have been done by now. Uh, right. I still think there's a there. chance. I think I mean, they just did Strider. Nobody yeah. at the timing on that's kind of different. And, yep. you know, I, I think that there's still a chance you could sweep in either between, you know, it seems doubtful to do it between series because there's just a, there's only a day or so. But uh, um, there's that. There's that still that five day period after the World Series when you've yep. got exclusive negotiating rights and, you know, Obviously, if there's a team that wants to let Dansby's agent know how yeah, much they're, they're <laughs> yeah, they're gonna let him know, you know, off the yeah. record, we would give him this. But I think that's your last best chance to get him without him hitting the open market. Because there's a chance when when the musical chairs are played and the other shortstops, the the bigger dollar guys, the Trey Turners, the Correa, when those guys all get their place, there's a chance there's going to be a team left with a void there and go and being willing to spend a lot more than they were initially comfortable to do to fill that spot. And they might, and all of a sudden, Dansby might be a twenty six seven million dollar a year guy where you thought he was only going to get you know you know three four million less than that tops. So we'll we'll have to wait and see. But I think in the Braves case. If you don't want to run that risk, then you've got to get him signed at least no later than that five day period. Yeah, I'm, I don't. I don't think it can't happen. I just it's yeah. It's he's gonna get. It's like what what Chipper say last year. I can't remember his quote, but about it, you know, going out and getting courted by every team, right? And it could get ugly, but it, I think it's You're not coming back. back to, it, yeah, I think he's coming back. You know, my gut just tells me he's coming. My back. gut does, still does too, but a lot of people don't. But mine does too, still for some reason. I just, I think, he's I think it's, I think it's just Alex is too shrewd and too smart to not know the importance he is in that clubhouse. And Alex puts too much of a, too much value on clubhouse chemistry exactly. and having the right guys to not do this because this is one, like kind of like Michael Harris where you absolutely do not need to worry about this guy ever. You know, right. you know he's going to come to the park and play his ass off every day, year after year after year, never get in trouble. And there aren't many guys you can say that about, that you really feel like you know them, their character deep down, you know, what type of people they are, that something might change them, you know, money might change them, that kind of thing. These A lot are of guys are guys. good at playing that role. But, right. <laughs> you know, when you're in the clubhouse with them every day, you know. Right. And these are two guys that are absolutely, to me, beyond reproach. Yeah, I don't worry about Dansby in that aspect. Mm-hmm. Kind of like Freddie in that regard. Same thing. Yeah. Olsen, same thing. Mark T. Last one. Last one. He's gone. Uh, Jeremy P. You there, Jeremy? There, Jeremy. Hey, guys. You hear me? Yep. Yep. Okay. DOB, just want to uh, echo all the comments in the chat and the guys that got on to speak that you've been you, missed. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate sure. it. Appreciate it. Thank is you. this you? Are you back now, or is this just you being nice and doing a, a live call with us? That's my first question. And then second one was on uh, on Strider to kind of reinforce maybe what you're thinking. If, if they weren't confident he could go deep in the game, the first of possibly three straight days wouldn't be the day to, to start taxing your bullpen. Um, I yeah. wouldn't think. Yeah. So, so what do you guys think about that? 
I agree. I think they're confident that they that he can go four or five innings. And uh, and and for the reason you said, if they didn't feel like he was close to being, you know, at least close enough to being 100 percent to give you four or five innings, they wouldn't run him out there. I think they're confident that he is. This is a guy that keeps himself in incredible shape. And, uh, you know, he's thrown enough bullpens and side sessions between, you know, when he restarted throwing a couple of weeks ago that I think, like I said, I, I'm expecting him to go out and uh, throw five or six innings. Maybe I'll be maybe I'll be uh, maybe I'm overly optimistic, but I think he will. So even if he just blows their doors off for four, you know, I mean, there's a lot of value in in giving yourself those four innings to build a lead. And I'll answer to your question. I'm now I'm back. I'm going to rejoin the team. Uh, if the series goes five, I'll be back. I just uh, and then I'm going to go on the road for the LCS and the World Series if they go there. All right, that's going to do it for us here today on 755 Israel. Thank you to all who turned out to the live room, and thank you to all who listened to today's show. We look forward to having you guys back in the live room in the near future. Whether it is to recap the. Divisional series and preview the LCS or the end of the Brave season and kind of have a post-mortem. Either way, we appreciate the support. It doesn't go unnoticed. Thank you all so much for tuning into today's show. And as always, 755 is real and we're out.